As we stand in the current face of the COVID-19 pandemic that is affecting the world, my prayer is with all of those who are affected directly and indirectly by this, which is all of us. My prayer is that the Lord Jesus will give you strength and that eyes that are still closed would be open to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and that hearts would be open and receptive to his power and to his healing. Welcome to the She's Marked podcast. I'm Hannah, and I'm honored to be your host along this journey to stronger faith, holiness, emotional restoration and healing, and deliverance for the millennial woman. Join me as we press toward unpacking the heavy luggage of our hearts in pursuit of a life that is distinct, set apart, and built on the practical foundation of God's truth. She is walking in power. She is walking in freedom. Without a doubt, all will know that she's marked. We're taking a break from the Laying Foundation series to talk about the blood of Jesus. This break, influenced by the current coronavirus pandemic that is sweeping the world, is necessary in reminding us of the power of and need for the blood of Jesus. In today's episode, we're unlocking a little bit of who Jesus is, his deity, his authority to cleanse sin, and some of the countless ways the blood operates. We also will be talking about the healing in his blood and why blood. I really wanted to continue on in our series with laying foundations, but I could not obviously overlook the reality of what we're facing right now. Each of us are affected by this in some way, even those of us who fortunately have not contracted this virus. We are touched in that our schools are shut down, our universities are shut down, our jobs are shut down. The economy is rattling right now. You know, we're we're confined to our homes. Even when we go out into the street, things look so different. You may see people wearing masks, gloves. You see people social distancing. We are all touched by this thing in some way or another. It is something that we are all going through. And I've had a chance to talk to a few people about this, um, specifically older people. And I've asked them, you know, in your many years on the earth, have you seen anything like this before? And they have all like passionately said no. And these are people who have lived through some things. The reach of this pandemic is so far and wide. It is truly unseen and unheard of. For me, that signifies that it is not just something that is happening physically or economically or emotionally or mentally, but it is very much something that is occurring spiritually as well. And so that is why I felt led to talk about the blood of Jesus. Uh, I first had this idea because of a quote that I did, and you all will see that quote come out probably in a few days after this episode airs. 
where I was really thinking about emotional healing because that's one of my main focuses for ministry is emotional healing. And as I was just sitting and thinking and writing and brainstorming, the thought came to me, our emotional healing is activated by the blood of Jesus. Now that was before things really took off with the COVID-19. So now that things have changed because I, I, I came up with that maybe about a month ago. But now that things have changed so drastically, I was kind of going through my notes and I saw that quote and I, I kind of said, wait a minute, let's take out the emotional piece. That's that's in, that's included essentially. But our healing is activated by the blood of Jesus. During times like these, our minds wonder and we race with how can we fix this? How can we cure this? How can we come up with a vaccine? How can we protect ourselves? How can we shield ourselves? And so that's why this this quote, this thought meant so much more um, because nothing is error proof. Nothing is foolproof, especially anything that is made by humans. Humans are prone to error. But I said, my God, in, in such a time where there is so much uncertainty, there is so much unrest, what is that something that brings that rest that cannot be questioned? It cannot be shaken. It cannot fail. And obviously that is only found in the Lord. It is only found in the Lord Jesus. But there was something that resonated so deeply with the blood of Jesus that I wanted to take the time out today to really focus on that and talk about the blood of Jesus and what it signifies and the power in the blood. So before we can understand the significance of the blood or why blood at all, I think it'll be important to discuss two things. The first is atonement. The second thing is sin. The blood really doesn't have that much relevance to us if we don't understand those two things. So I think that will be a really good starting point. Defining sin. Sin through standard definition, if you were to go into Google and just type up the definition of sin, which is what I did just to see what it would say. Sin is defined as an immoral act considered to be a transgression against divine law or God's eternal law. Another definition was to err, taken from the word error. And just clicking around and reading some other things, I saw also sin being defined as rebellion. So we'll leave that there for a second. We'll come back to sin in a moment. The second thing to discuss is atonement. And some of the definitions for atonement are recompense, reconcile, repay, make up for, payment, restitution, restoration of something to its original state, amends, and I also saw indemnity. And I decided to click on indemnity because I've, I'm familiar with that term. I used to work in finances. Go figure. I can't stand math. I've never liked math, but I did work in finances um, for a little while at a university. And I dealt a lot with contracts and procurement and things of that nature. And one word that you would always see or off. Yeah, I think you would always see in uh, contracts on that agreement page. You always saw an indemnity clause. And if there was not an indemnity clause, there was almost always some sort of addendum or attachment to include a clause on indemnity. And so indemnity is defined in three ways. The first is security or protection against a loss. The second is security against 
or exemption from legal liability for one's actions, or three, a sum of money paid as compensation, especially a sum exacted by a victor in war as one condition of peace. So I thought those things were really, really significant considering talking about atonement and sin in terms of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So going back to sin really quickly, how does sin function? Sin defiles. Think of, you know, wearing an all white gown or a robe and spilling a red drink on it. Or think about another fine piece of garment and you accidentally spill oil on it or you get some sort of weird black car grease on it. Uh, It defiles. Um, And in a much bigger scale, it separates us from God. It is any lack of conformity to the moral character of God or the law of God. And sin is deadly. That's why we read in scripture that the wages of sin is death. So once we understand the weight of sin, we understand why atonement was necessary, why repayment or restoration, reconciliation was necessary because uh, going back to that definition for indemnity, it's a security or protection against a loss, a security against or an exemption from legal liability for one's actions. So because of our sin, because of our defilement, we were legally responsible to pay the wage of sin. What is the wage of sin? It is death. So quickly fast forwarding, we think of Jesus dying on the cross. Sometimes uh, we may even question, well, God is all powerful. Couldn't he have done something else to redeem us? But No, he couldn't because the wages of sin, the payment for sin, the exchange for sin is death. So something had to die in order to properly repay, recompense, make up for or return us to our original state. Really quickly, I want to touch on our original state. So in the book of Genesis, when we're reading about creation and uh, we see where God is creating all sorts of things. We see where, excuse me, God, the Father, we see where God, the Son, the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are creating things because repeatedly the, the scripture reads, made in our image. There's a plural. So it's not just God alone. It's not a singular thing that's going on. It's saying the word our, O-U-R. So there, there's it's referencing more than one person. Um, that's kind of the, the the beginning mentions of the Trinity. I don't want to go too deeply into theology today, but we have to be able to recognize and pinpoint that the Trinity was there from the very beginning. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they were there from the very beginning. So anyways, going back to our original state, in that particular scripture in Genesis, it reads, made in our image, meaning humans. Now, a lot of times people will take that to mean physical image, but in some recent study that I did unintentionally, I ended up learning that that made in our image refers to our holiness. We were made without blemish. That was the likeness of God. God is holy. He is without blemish. If you listen to, I believe it was my last episode or maybe two episodes ago when I talked about understanding who God is, I talked quite a bit about God's nature and his holiness. So we were made in God's image in that we were holy. We were blameless. We were not gods. God did not make us into gods, but we were made holy 
and blameless before God. So when we understand that we were made in God's image, we were made with that level of holiness, we understand why the hit of sin was so weighty, why it was so heavy, why it impacted so much and it just couldn't remain. God couldn't just leave it as is. When Adam sinned, when Eve sinned, that changed the course that introduced death physical death and spiritual death. It created a wedge between us and God. And that's just not the way that it was supposed to be. That was not God's law. That was not his design. So because it was not his law, because it was not his design, something had to happen for restitution. So when you look in the Old Testament, you see many, many accounts of people bringing offerings. Whenever there was a sin committed, there was a high priest who was holy enough, had to be holy enough to come and do that offering on behalf of the person who sinned. So we see there was blood that had to be shed and it couldn't just be any animal. We're not going to get into the deep particulars of the requirements for the animal, but the animal had to be in mint condition, if you will. The animal had to be without blemish. The animal had to be a perfect animal, whether it was a young animal, whether it was from the best pick, it had to be something that was worthy in order to fully recompense, fully repay. So blood had to be shed because the wages of sin is death. A life had to be exchanged. There is life in blood. So life had to be given. And then when we fast forward through history, we know that Jesus is referred to as the lamb of God. When we think of lamb, we think of that sacrifice. So Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice because the sin in the world, because the sin in mankind was so great, there had to be a great sacrifice for it. And God uh, in John 3, 16, we see for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So because of God's love for us. Because of Jesus's love for us, Jesus was willing to take sin on his shoulders for all mankind once and for all. And because God loved us so much, he gave his son to become sin. There's another scripture that says he that knew no sin became sin for us. So that was that atonement. That was that repayment. Um, that was that indemnity, that security or exemption for us from legal liability for our actions. What were those actions? Sin. What is the wages of sin? Death. So that kind of talks a little bit about the function of the blood, a little bit of the function of the blood and the significance of it. There had to be something weighty enough. So because Jesus chose to die in our place and give his blood, that made us exempt from having to face eternal death, eternal separation from God. The blood caused reconciliation between us and God. So now going on to who Jesus is. Jesus is God. He is God the Son. His role is the Son and his identity, substance, position, and nature is God. Uh, I really love a recent teaching that I just listened to from my spiritual leader. It was a sermon on who Jesus is, really an in-depth study on who Jesus is. And I know that throughout the ages, there has been a lot of um, discrediting for the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you look through scripture and if you do 
do your research and you really study, you will see time and time again that Jesus is God. And there are a number of reasons why we come to this conclusion, aside from just what scripture tells us. When you look into scripture and you see the things that Jesus did during his time here on earth, the authority that he had, the command that he had, the ability to forgive sins, we see that because of that authority, Jesus is God. That can be something that's a bit confusing for people, but it's something, again, with time and with study and with revelation from the Holy Spirit, you'll begin to also see and confirm the deity and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that there are some beliefs that completely wipe out the deity of the Lord Jesus as being God. Once you begin to study scripture and you see the countless affirmations in scripture that declare that Jesus is God, it will begin to make more and more sense to you. So let's take a look at some of those scriptures now. John 8, 51. Here, Jesus was talking with the Jews because they were discrediting his deity and they were accusing him of blasphemy. And in John 8, 51, he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So how can someone say that they'll never see death? How can they say that someone else or people in general will never see death if they're not coming from a place of authority? In verse 58, he says, before Abraham, Abraham was, I am. And the significance of I am is that was taken from the Old Testament uh, where God says, I am. So Jesus was kind of revealing himself as God in that moment when he used those two specific words and he said, I am. In John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Isaiah 9, 6 says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And that was foretelling of Jesus's physical birth in the earth in the New Testament. This was mentioned in the book of Isaiah. Daniel 7, 14 says, and he, meaning Jesus, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Hebrews 1, 3 says that Jesus is the express image of the person of God and the brightness of God's glory. I suggest that you all read the book of Hebrews in regards to the deity of Jesus. There's a lot of powerful information and revelation in that book. Hebrews chapter one, verses six says, let all the angels of God worship him. And this, if I'm not mistaken, that was a command that was given by God himself to let all the angels worship him. Verse eight says, but unto the son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Listen to that again. But unto the son, that's Jesus, he saith, thy throne, O God, and who's speaking here? This is God speaking. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Matthew 14, 33 says, then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, truly, 
You are the son of God. And we see that a lot in the New Testament when Jesus was doing a lot of his miracles after he healed people and they came into that realization of who was standing before them. There was no question. They fell on their knees and they worshiped the Lord Jesus because they knew that he was God. They recognized his power, his authority, his deity. Revelations 1.18 says, I, this is Jesus speaking, I have the keys of death and hates. That is an authority figure. He holds the keys of death and hates. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So that talks a little bit about who Jesus is and it very much confirms and reveals his deity and his authority. So how does the blood operate? I found a really good resource and I will copy this link for you all or I will share it in the show notes. It's taken from sharefaith.com and it's entitled 30 Things the Blood of Jesus Does. So just drawing from that list, a few of the things that the blood does or a few of the ways that the blood operates is one, it pays our debt. Our debt is paid. What is that debt? Our debt of sin um, and everything that sin entails, sadness, sickness, infirmities, disease, oppression, strongholds, torment, death, the list goes on. So the blood paid our debt. That's if it's activated. How do we activate the blood? The Bible says, if you confess your sins, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive. It also says uh, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Jesus. So it has to do with confessing, accepting the Lord Jesus and accepting what he did for us on the cross, accepting that blood verbally, mentally, spiritually, accepting what that blood signifies, what it meant when that blood was shed for us. Our debt is paid according to Hebrews 9.28. Two, we are forgiven. We've received redemption, Ephesians 1.7. Three, we're spared from God's wrath. Four, we're justified according to Romans 5, 9. Five, we are spiritually alive according to John 6, 53. We are cleansed according to 1 John 1, 7. We've been given power to overcome the enemy, Revelations 12, 11. And I just want to read that one really quick. It says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. Galatians 3, 13 tells us, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. So he became a curse for us when he died on the cross, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So our healing is in the blood activated by the blood of Jesus. I want to recap something from Isaiah 53 verse 5. And this is a very common verse that says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Now this largely applies to our spiritual condition being healed and made whole, but it can also apply to physical healing. But 
that's if the Lord desires. People are miraculously healed. People do receive divine healing physically and in the physical realm. But the thing that really needs healing above all is the condition of our heart, that condition of sin. That is truly the thing that needs atonement because our physical conditions can be healed. But if our hearts are not healed, the time that we spend on this earth is minimal in comparison to the time that we have in eternity. So we can be healed from ailments here on earth, but what goes even further, what stretches out even longer is our healing spiritually. And because of the stripes, the blows that Jesus received during that time, that redeemed us, it restored us, it paid our debt for us to be healed spiritually from moral decay, spiritual disease and sickness. So I just want to encourage you all during this time with remembering what Jesus did for us, we can find comfort and rest and peace in the presence of God, even in the midst of our trials. I see where prophecy, biblical prophecy is being unfolded right before our eyes. I truly believe that it's significant of the end times is a pandemic that is affecting our lives in the physical sense, but it's also a call and a stir for us physically, spiritually rather, to see that we are not in control of anything, that in the blink of an eye, life can truly change. Nothing is certain. The next moment is not even certain. But what is sure is the living God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he loves his people. He is faithful to his people. Even when tragedy strikes, we have an assurance that goes beyond the physical. We have an assurance that goes beyond death and that is a promise. So I encourage you all, for those of you who know the power of the Lord Jesus, share that truth with those around you. As people are looking for comfort, they're looking for truth, they're looking for rest and peace, share the light that you have. And for those of you who may not know the Lord Jesus, he is real and he is available to all those who seek him and call on his name. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. The Lord Jesus is capable and he is able. He holds the power to forgive sins. If you call upon his name, now is the time as the next second isn't promised, as tomorrow is not promised. One thing is sure is that our healing, our spiritual healing is activated by the blood of Jesus. I'm going to pray with you all before we conclude today. Father God, we thank you for the blood that paid for everything we owed. We thank you for what the blood signifies and the life in the blood. God, we need that healing life for our minds, our hearts, and our physical bodies. I repent on behalf of myself on behalf of this nation, on behalf of this planet, Lord God. You said that if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, that you would hear us and that you would heal our land. Lord God, we know that there are many things that we as a people need to turn from. But God, I just ask for mercy during this time. You know the lives and the, the aspects of our lives that have been affected by this virus. 
Lord God, I'm asking you for mercy on all of those who are hurting and suffering, for every single person who is affected, for those who are hanging on to life by threads even now, for those who are in economic turmoil. God, help us to turn to you, Lord. Help us to even learn the lessons during this very hard time. Let us turn to you, Lord God, and be softened to you because you are our only sure thing. You are our only anchor. Have mercy on us, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Until next time. That's it for today, but the journey continues. Visit she'smarked.com for more episodes and to check out the Marked Life blog. If you found value in today's episode, please subscribe, tell a friend, and share. Remember, the word tells us that many are called, but few are chosen. As you go through this week, remember to walk as children of light.